may be seated. We have a great and generous God. And you know, I used to say uh, a little while ago that when Chris and Cheyenne teach, it's such a great job. I just thank God for our young ones. I can no longer say thank God for the young ones because they're no longer young. They have the number four in their age now. And so, in fact, when you add the ages of Chris and Cheyenne together, they're older than I am, which makes me the young one. So uh, I'm just saying, I thank God that they come up here and teach because it makes me feel younger all the time when I see them combined. But, but seriously, man, just be, man, the, the Be Cool series was so meaningful to me. I hope it was helpful to you. And, and I just do thank God for all that God is doing here, especially you being here today, those that are online, uh, that are worshiping with us, on whatever the case, wherever you are, whatever God is doing in your life. We just, you came here. We're, we're just grateful and, and we are humbled. And if you're in the house, we'd love to meet you. We'd love to say hello to you. We have a place called the Connection Point, just a kind of a spot for you to say, hey, uh, I'm kind of new here, and we'll kind of help you navigate, give you a gift, and I would love to meet you, and other staff would as well. Now, if you have your Bibles, whether you're online or in the house, whether you're doing the app or the, or the, the hard copy, I encourage you to find the book of Esther. Now, if you have using your phone, uh, that can be a very easy thing to do. If you're using this book right here, that can be a hard thing to do because whoever just naturally turns to the book of Esther. So I will tell you the best way to find the book of Esther in this is to go to the table of contents. It's one of the best pages in the book of the Bible. It's at the very front called the Table of Contents, and it will tell you the exact page number. Or if you're adventurous, you can open up your Bible kind of in the middle and it kind of follow the Psalms, and you go back to your left, and you'll go through right there Job, then eventually you'll get to Esther. And so that's just a way to find the book of Esther. And that's where we're going to camp out. Now, I would like for you to turn to the person next to you or behind you, and I would like for you to tell them something. Give them a little message, okay? And so here's the message I want you to give them. Are you ready? Are you online? I want you to do it too, either in the chat or to someone sitting with you in the house or if you're traveling, whatever, in the hospital. Here it is. It's your time. Turn to them and tell them, it's your time. Now, I would like you to kind of take your hands in a posture like this and just kind of however you do in your relationship with God and say, God, it's my time. And God, we acknowledge before we open up this word, this thing called the Bible, that time is in your hands. Every second that we're allowed to breathe and be on this earth, every day, every heartbeat, every ray of sunshine, every drop of rain, is in your hands and we place ourselves in your hands as we open this book because we know when we open this book a power is unleashed that can change lives we ask you to do that this morning that you would connect one more to your incredible love you would connect one more to your healing power, connect one more to your transforming power, connect one more to the truth that you have about their life and the purpose you have for their life. And in this moment, in this time, I ask you to do this and everything else you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're starting a new message series we're calling It's Your Time. And I will tell you this three-month mini-series, here's my goal, here's my hope for you. 
by the time of the end of this message series, you can at least write down one word, maybe two words, if not a full sentence, where you have a sense for this time in your life why you're alive. Why you exist. I promise you, you exist for so much more than what you really think you exist. Every human being is born for a mission and a purpose. Every single person who's alive, you were alive as a human being, you have need to know a sense of reason for why you live a calling, if you will, a mission or a purpose for your life. That every human being, the reason you get depressed, the reason you get stuck, the reason you find yourself going in circles and you feel like you're in a rut, is because you have a desire to know that your life means more and it's bigger than just you. And you're living for something beyond just what you do day to 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 day. And so my hope and purpose is that by the time we get finished of these three weeks, that you will at least be in a direction of being able to put something down, some sort of direction to know why, and then you focus on living out that. To live out that in your life needs to be richer and more full and more complete because of that. Now, I had the privilege uh, years ago of attending a workshop, a retreat, if you will, for people who were leaders of organizations. And it was not just leaders of churches. It was just leaders of organizations. And one of the little breakout sessions there was about, and believe it or not, was about every person needs a mission. What is your mission? And every organization needs a mission. And one of the speakers of this breakout session suggested that if you do not know what the mission of your organization is, your company, your team, your family, whatever it is, if you don't know what it is, the temptation is to orient your life around something called a shadow mission. Let me give you a definition in your notes for a shadow mission. A shadow mission is something unworthy. It is something dark, something selfish, around which you are tempted to center your life. That is a shadow mission. You center your time, your energy, your money, your finances around it. It kind of becomes something that kind of you live your life for, but it's in the shadows you don't want other people to know. So this guy said, let me give you an example of what a shadow mission looks like. He says, my shadow mission is to watch TV, it's three-pronged, watch TV, to indulge myself sexually while the world goes to hell. Now, I will tell you, remember, this is a non-faith-based event. I cleaned up the language a little bit. And the guys kind of laughed in the circle. He said, listen, I want to say this one more time, and nobody laughed. He said, my shadow mission is to watch TV, engage in a sexual habit while the world goes to hell. Crickets. Kind of like right now. And you can kind of feel the weight in the circle of the awareness of how quickly any life can deteriorate to the pursuit of something so unworthy of their life. Every human being who walks on the face of this earth, you are tempted by some sort of shadow mission to suck you into the dark, to suck you into the shadows of your life, of your family, of your marriage, of the company that you work for. It's just a fact. 
This right here, this picture right here reminds me of why people move to the Metroplex. People are moving to Texas, they're Fort Worth and Dallas and Johnson County in droves. And they're coming here in pursuit of these visions and goals and hopes to change their life, to change their family, to change their career focus, to make a lot of money, to make a difference, to make the world. And so many people are coming for these high aspirations. And all of a sudden, so quickly, they don't even realize it, it turns and twists into a shadow mission so here's what we're going to do we're going to kind of work our way through the book of Esther and we're going to get into some pretty deep stuff over the course of the next three weeks I'm just kind of giving you a heads up it's going to get kind of heavy at times and you're going to be forced to deal with some honest stuff that's going on perhaps in your life and to really be able to understand this book I'm going to encourage you to be reading these little 10 chapters because we're not going to read it verse by verse but what you're going to learn as you read the book of Esther, you're going to meet these characters. And all these characters are being faced with a shadow mission and a God mission. And they got to make a choice. Am I going to give my life to these shadow missions, all these shadows in my life? Or am I going to give myself to the life that God has called me to? And that is my God mission. So, so you understand what a God mission is. Let's put this in your notes. A God mission is something that helps God change the world. That's a God mission. A God mission is something in you, through you, by you, God will use you to change the world. And let me make this little point right here too. Your life is not neutral. It is impossible for you to live a neutral life. Your life is either helping the world get better or the world get worse. Period. It just is. There's no neutral. If you're trying to be neutral... You're contributing to it getting worse. You are helping your marriage, if you're married, get better or get worse. There is no neutral. You, in a family, you are either helping your family get better or get worse. There is no neutral. There's a reason and a purpose and a role for you in your family, in your marriage, in your company, in your business where you work. You do not just show up and exist and do your thing and go home and think it doesn't have an impact. It does, for good or for ill. Your God mission is for God to use you somehow to make this world, this life better. To change it for the good, not for the ill. So, let's go to the text. We'll see right here, Esther chapter 1, the, the setting is the capital of Persia. It's about 470 B.C. The city is Susa. The people of Israel are living in exile. This gives you a picture of what we're talking about in the time frame and, and the geography. The people of Israel are living in exile. They think all it's worth, and it's really about the people of Israel. Verse 1. Of Esther. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 120 provinces stretching from India to Cush, or that is the Nile. Now, what you're going to find very early in this, in this chapter 1 is that the writer wants you and me to know that Xerxes is a king of immense power. His kingdom is vast along the known, known world. And he is very proud of who he is, and he wants the world to know how great and awesome that he is, and he spends his life in that endeavor, making people know that and feel that, 
and he has a shadow mission. So you understand what a shadow, here's another, I'm going to try to give you many examples of what a shadow mission looks like. His shadow mission is to look impressive, experience as much pleasure as he can while following the path of least resistance. That's it. Look important, experience pleasure by doing things the easiest way possible all of the time. And what we're going to learn about this king, he has no inner strength of character. He's the most important man in the world, but he has no internal character. That he has a hard time making up his own mind. He has a hard time in making decisions. He's always in this in-between land. He needs other people to help him. Now, what you're going to see right here, the first time we meet him in this chapter in verse 3, is he's hosting a banquet. If you wanted to read this book, you could divide it up by banquets. It just seems like it's just a party book. It's just all about banquets. And you notice the very first part, he, he's, fall, he's throwing this banquet. And it says right there in verse, 44, verse 4, For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. you got to be kidding me. A six-month party. Some king, he just wanted to have as much pleasure as he could. He just wanted to have a good time all the time. He just throwing this big old party. And then it says right there in verse 5, he throws a second party right there. And he throws it for the people of the capital. That is the little people. He's going to throw this big old party for the little people so they know how impressive he is. So they're just overwhelmed with his greatness. That's why he's throwing this party. And it talks there 5, 6, and 7 about this big old party. And it says in verse 7, Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. In other words, you just eat and you drink and you be merry and you have a good time. Just, just, just drink all you want. Anybody seen the movie Animal House? That's what he's describing right here. If you, if you don't get the picture, chapter 1 is just this big old animal house party of people just having fun for days and days and days, just drinking off the tap, whatever goes, and that's the whole purpose of their life. I know that's none of you in here. That's, 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 that's none of you here. And, and so he's having this big old party and just, just overwhelmed. Now, this guy's king. king and he's just having a good time but he also has a good mission a God mission every person here has a God mission what's the mission of God for a king a president a leader at the highest level is to take care of everybody else it's to look after the good of the whole. It's to protect the nation. To care for the widows. To care for the poor. So everyone has a chance to flourish and prosper in their endeavors in the nation. Wouldn't you agree with me? That would be a pretty good mission for a king that God might put someone on the throne for? Can you imagine what it would be like in Washington, D.C.? If every single person was trying to fulfill their God mission and not some political platform bias, 
What would it be like in your company where you work if every person came to work to fulfill their God mission in that setting? How different might the work environment be? How different would it be in the Metroplex, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, this big growing metropolis, if every single person was simply trying to fulfill the mission for which God gave them life in your family? your nuclear family and your extended family, how different would your family unit be? It was not about you taking care of me, you taking care of my need for pleasure, you stroking my ego, you making me feel important. What about if it was every one of us serving God's purpose in the family and how different would it be? This king has a mission, but he lives by his shadow mission. In your notes, my shadow mission is somewhere the difference between who I really am and who God created me to be. There is this king that the nation needed Xerxes to be, and there is the king that he really was. And somewhere in between that, you will find his shadow, the dark side of his life. T.S. Eliot A famous poet wrote this poem called The Hollow Men, people who live hollow in their lives. And this is what he writes in 1925 when his life is full of despair. We, we are the hollow men, the hollow women in the twilight kingdom. This is the dead land where you and I live. Between the idea and the reality falls the shadow. Between the essence and the descent falls the shadow. Between the man God created me to be And the man I really am, in between is the shadow. Between the man my wife needs me to be. Listen, parents, my kids need me to be. And the person I really am falls the shadow. For all of us, that's what the poem is saying. And then it ends with these very just dark, heavy words, one of the most famous famous words in poetry. This is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. How dark. T.S. Eliot writes about this life you and I live. Some of you know what I'm talking about because your life feels that way. This king has a shadow. There's a third banquet in verse 10. I'm telling you, it's just full of banquets, and it's just thrown by the queen. And I want you to notice the stark difference between the maturity level of the king and the queen. It is huge. There's no drunken 24-7 parties. There's no excess and whatever. And so the king apparently is kind of getting bored a little bit. It says right there in verse 10, on the seventh day of that last party, King Xerxes was in high spirits from the wine. Of course he was. <laughs> and, and he commanded his seven eunuchs, and he gives their name, verse 11, to bring before him his queen. Let's stop right there. Now, up to this point in time, he's just kind of letting everybody know how great he is by showing off all his wealth and all of his stuff. And people just kind of, hey, you the man, king. You the man. You the man. He's saying, you're right. I am the man. He's showing off all of his stuff. And now he wants to show off his ultimate possession. Let me just ask you, why do you think he might want to show them his ultimate possession, his queen? Why do you think? Do you think it's because she's smart? she got brains. I want, to, I want you to see her math, how she can do math. You think it's because of her personality? 
because she can lead a conversation on the demise of the Babylonian Empire that would impress anybody. Do you think that's why? Listen, why does he ask for her? It says, to bring me my, my queen wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. He wanted to see that he had a hot wife. Can I say something in all seriousness? In the current culture in which you and I live, we still devalue the image of God in women by saying who they are as a person of worth is by how they look. And some women have bought into that, and a lot of men have reinforced that. And I just want to speak to some dads this morning. I'm going to have to work really hard to get all this in. But I just got to say something to some dads and some granddads. If you have a little girl under your authority and your responsibility and your family tree, And if she's not going to grow up to think that her value and her worth is just based on how she looks, it's going to be because you, you men, make sure she knows her value and worth is based on she is created in the image of God and she is a gift to you and you accept her and approve her just like she is. Nothing to do with how she looks. Period. And if she doesn't hear it from you, the world will tell her. And the world will tell her it's based on her physical appearance. Can you imagine how Queen Vashti felt? Get yourself in the story. Can you imagine how humiliated she was? Summoned by her husband to come dance around and show, look how beautiful, look how my bride, how hot she is. What do you think she does? So interesting. What's about to happen sets the stage for the rest of the story. The rest of the story doesn't happen if she doesn't do what she does. Look what she does. It says right here in verse 12, when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. She said, no, hubby. Go walk around. You're all your drunk friends. You've been 24-hour, happy hour, whatever. No, thank you. I think I'll stay in my room and wash my hair. Thank you. Please understand this. The first hero in this story is a woman who said no to a family system where a husband was controlling and dominating, trying to push her down and to make her a servant. In a pagan system that the man dominates, and any time a person in a family tree, when the story is going wrong, has the courage to stand up and do the right thing, in your notes, it requires courage to overcome my shadow mission. It requires courage. It requires courage. When the whole story is going wrong, and that's exactly what she demonstrated. And the irony right here, the writer's lip, and you and me know <laughs> that this woman, this strong woman, was bringing out, showing, was pointing the light on the shadow mission of Xerxes. How do you think he responded? Oh, I'm sorry. That was bad on me. I shouldn't have done that. No, he, he says, 
the king became furious, verse 12, and he burned with anger the shadow. His shadow began to shine because she was pointing out his weakness. She was pointing out his shadow mission to be all in control and be in power, everybody to puff him up with how awesome he was. <laughs> and she said, no. Then you read the rest of this little thing, and it's so fascinating. The king doesn't know what to do. He says, I can't even manage my own family. And so he goes to the Supreme Court. He makes a private issue, a public issue. He asks his advisors, what do you think I ought to do? This woman's out of control. And if the rest of the women in the kingdom find out, they're going to rebel against their husbands too. we got to put an end to this. This is not okay. And they said, we think you need to have a royal order, an edict, that all of the women... They have to do exactly what their husbands say all the time. That's what you got to do. And you got to say that Queen Vashti can never come before you and see you again. That's what you got to tell her. And so that's what they tell her. And then you go on down here in verse 20. They say, because when you do that, then it says, when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all the vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest because you told them you got to do this. And I'm going, yeah, right. Yeah, right. In your notes, number three, every relationship has a shadow mission and a God mission. Let me repeat that. Every relationship in your life has a God mission. But there's also a shadow mission. And which one are you living? And let me just say a word to married couples for a second. This is not to exclude anybody who's single. Maybe you're thinking about being married. Marriage is not about making you happy. If it's about you being happy, you missed a boat. That's a shadow mission of a, of a marriage. When two people who are Christian and they get married, that is the greatest place for the possibility of spiritual formation. That's the purpose of a godly marriage, spiritual formation. Because you have two people who know the worst about each other more than anybody else. And in that situation, you learn how to forgive and turn the other cheek and speak truth and love anyway and encourage and work through conflict and lift up and you still stay together. That's called spiritual formation in the relationship. That means encouragement, loving, but it also means confrontation and conflict sometimes. King Queen Vashti didn't know. He just wanted a wife who would do exactly what he wanted her to do. He didn't want that. Shadow mission. Years ago, we hosted a marriage enrichment retreat here at the church. And, and Dallas and I just went. It was years ago, early in our ministry. And we invited this couple to come in from the outside to lead it. And Dallas and I went. And out of the blue, he called me and Dallas up there to sitting on these little things to ask us questions. This wasn't a part of the plan. We had no idea. And he started asking Dallas questions about our marriage. And Dallas started talking about how our marriage wasn't perfect. And she just didn't say, oh, we have an imperfect marriage. I mean, she started talking about details. <laughs> and I went, what are you doing? This wasn't part of the script or the plan. And, and she's talking about unequal workloads and responsibilities around the house and taking care of the kids and, and conflict not ending well and emotional withdrawal. My wife started talking in public Telling people things about me. And I looked at her and went, hey, Queen Vashti. What are you doing? And I realized 
At that time, I'm so glad she did because it opened my eyes that I had a shadow mission in our marriage. Because every marriage has one. And the shadow mission was to let everybody think we had this wonderful, image-perfect marriage. So you would think, oh, yeah, is this all perfect? And it wasn't. And so many people get caught up in living for that sort of message. So I want to challenge you to really, as a married couple, if you're married or any key relate, to ask, what are our shadow missions? What is the shadow mission of our relationship? What is it? What is it we're hiding? What is it that keeps us going and it's so dark? And here's an example of some shadow missions. Conflict avoidance. Not my fault. pseudo impulse. You prop up my fragile ego. Having kids that make us look good. All oh, the kids, they make us look so good. Concluding in a pursuit of a materialistic life. Reinforcing how satisfied we are with all of our success. Enabling someone with an alcoholism or another addiction in the family. Enabling out-of-control anger or physical abuse. Co-rationalizing a refusal to be completely devoted. Those are just some examples of a relationship and some of the shadow missions that some exist. So I want you to ask yourself, what are the shadow missions of our relationship? See, in a marriage, here's what biblical marriage is, and some couples don't want this. Biblical marriage is mutual submission. It's mutual truth-telling. It's mutual giving of affection. It's not like what some men think it is and some women think it is. I build the man up to put him on a pedestal. He's all great. Build his ego, stroke his ego, make him feel important. And then if I do all that, he'll give me, needy little woman, all the emotional tenderness and touch I really need. And if I just make him feel good, then no, 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 no. That's not what a biblical marriage is at all. And some of you don't want a biblical marriage. You want a fantasy. But a biblical manner is grounded in reality of two broken people who come together and work through their shadows together. And they're together at the end because they're one in Christ. They're one in Jesus. Vashti wanted that. The king did not. He just wanted his ego stroke. Just do what I want. Just make me happy. She would not do that. But all of his advisors would. He surrounded himself with friends who would just tell him what he wanted to hear. And ignored the truth. Let me ask you, do you just have people in your life who tell you what you want to hear? Or do you have people in your life who tell you what you need to hear? If you're a leader of a company... If you're a leader of a team and you do not know your shadow mission, let, you, let me make you a promise. Of your organization or your own, I promise you, if you don't know it, the people who work for you know it. They're talking about it. They're laughing about it. They're making comments about it in the break room because they know it. And they'll just placate you. They'll just pretend to you like they did with the king. Like they'll, they'll placate you. And the reality will never be known And pretty soon, it collapses and it falls. This is your homework. You've got to ask yourself, what is my shadow mission? 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 mission? And the Bible is very clear. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told that you and I are made for mission. When God created humanity, God gave us mission. 
It says God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, retool, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The goal is not to get to the end of your life and just retire. You and me together are partners. Help make this thing better, would you please? Will you please take care of it and help make the world better and not worse? And then it says, but there's a problem, that over here in Genesis chapter 3, Satan sneaks in. And he kind of starts tempting, no, 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 just eat the apple. Just sit back and make it all about you. Enjoy yourself. Eat, drink, and be happy. Just live your life the best that you want. And then it says, your eyes will be open, verse 5 of chapter 3, and you will be like God. In your notes, number four, my God mission is to serve God. My shadow mission is to replace God. Oh, we're getting deep now. That we want to be like God. And our role is simply to serve him. I will tell you, church, I'm I'm, I'm not naive. I know at the end of this three weeks, some of you are not going to have your three words. You're not going to have your sentence. You're not going to. It's taken me a lifetime. I've got mine written in the front of my Bible, my mission statement. I read and look at it every sort of day. My purpose to remind me why I live. The church church is clear. I'm not naive. It will take you a while, but I'm hoping you're at least making progress. But here's what I do know. Your shadow mission is obvious. It won't take you that long to figure it out. And that's where you start is by figuring out. I've known my shadow mission since I was a kid, and here it is, dinner with Rick. When I was a little kid, we'd come to the table and have dinner, me and my three sisters and my mom and dad. And for an hour, I would just tell stories and tell stories and tell stories and tell stories and tell stories, and they would just laugh. I could, I could get up, I, I could talk for an hour, hour and a half, and they'd just sit there and laugh and everything. And, I would just laugh, and the more they laughed, the more i talk. And some mother would say, hey, it's time to have dinner with Rick. And they didn't know it. They were naming my shadow mission. You see, with what I do for a living, I could idolize the fact that I get to get up here and even do what I'm doing right now and go, that's so important. That's so big. That's so so important. And just to make people happy, to get your approval. I can get sucked into that pretty easy except for God's grace. i got to stay grounded in God's grace or I know where I can go. That's my shadow mission. And I'm just saying to you, you've got to have the courage to identify and to be zeroed in on what your shadow mission really is. The Bible's full of them. You know, for Solomon, it was pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, for Jonah, it was escape. For the Pharisees, it was being holier than everybody else. Can I tell you, that's one of the most dangerous shadow missions in the Bible is to think that you're holier than everybody else. That just really destroys the church. Pilate was washing his hands. I avoid all responsibility. It's not my fault. It's not me. Simon the sorcerer having to sp- have a spectacular ministry. Here's a few others right here. Can I put this up on the screen? Some of you help you. I don't care who's in charge as long as it's me. Show me the money. You show me the money. That's your mission. Busy, busy, busy. Party, party, party. I need to be needed. Will you need? Oh, just need me. Just need. Perfect house, perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect hair, perfect thighs, perfect dog. 
Oh, you're just living for that. I mean, that's just your whole goal in life, to have all those little perfects, climbing ladders, taking hills, climbing over people. And could I put up here for some family? Could I put a little act right here? Reinforcing the dream of my kids to be a professional sport athlete, and we're going to be going every single weekend, pursue every sporting opportunity possible. Could I get an amen on that for some folks? Can I just say the truth on that? That is your mission. And it's in the shadows, but you never say it, but it's true. It's just true. I've got to move on. Let me tell you, if you're someone this morning who's struggling and you're feeling like you have no hope, there is hope. And here it is. Jesus had a shadow mission. He was fully divine and fully human. He was tempted, just like you, to live in the shadows of something not worthy of the pursuit of your life. And here what it was, to be the Messiah without suffering. That was his temptation. From the very beginning in the desert when the Satan showed up, hey, listen, Jesus, you can achieve your mission and you'll never have to be hungry. All you got to do is turn these stones to bread. It'll be cool. Everybody will love it. No hunger. Hey, you can achieve your mission, Jesus, uh, with no pain. You can climb up to the top of that temple. Just throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. Won't have a broken bone. You'll never hurt ever. Hey, Jesus, you can achieve your mission uh, with no opposition. If you will just bow down and worship me, everything you see, it's yours. You don't have to work for it. Boop, it's yours. Nothing. Just easy. He said, oh. I know what my calling is. I know what it is. He keeps going. He gets toward the end. He tells the disciples, hey, I got to suffer. And they say, no, no, no. Peter says, no, 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 no. You don't have to suffer. You don't, no, you're not going to die. And Jesus said, you get behind me, Satan. You get behind me, shadow. Curtly. Because he knew the temptation was to not fulfill the mission for which God sent him in this world. And then he gets into the Garden of Gethsemane. It falls and he gets on his hands and knees. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, he's just praying, God, just sweating drops of blood. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And the cup in the Bible is the symbol of your sin and my sin and the agony and the pain it brings upon God and the suffering of God because of our sin, the anger, the wrath of God because of our sin. And you and I just kind of placate that and play fun with it. But Jesus tasted it and it was so painful. He sweat drops of blood. God, if it's your will, just don't make me do this. But nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And he pushed through it until he gets to the cross. And on the cross, he was crucified. And on the cross, the shadow died. The shadow died. So that you and I could be redeemed and rebuilt and given a new life and no longer walk in the shadows that you live for but live in the light for the one who gives you life that is Jesus the resurrected Jesus when you come face to face with Jesus you get a new life 
and you get a new mission and you get a new purpose. And you can't avoid the old life by just trying to wrap around it. In your notes, I can only overcome my shadow mission by discovering and devoting myself to the mission that God has for me. That's the only way. That's the only way. Or you're going to be stuck your whole life. Now back to the story to wrap this thing up. King Xerxes, he uh, finally cools off and he realizes, I don't have a queen. I need a queen. I need a wife. You're never going to believe how this happens. It's just, there's no way this could ever happen in modern times, that this is how it would happen. Uh, But, so he eventually gets a queen, and it turns out her name is Esther. And Esther is beautiful, she is gracious, she's loved by everyone, but also she is Jewish. She's a part of the people that are in exile. But she gets to be queen. And now all of a sudden she goes from poverty to the wealthiest woman in the kingdom. And you would think, I know what my mission is, keep my man happy. Wear nice clothes. Everybody love me. Travel anywhere I want to travel. Do whatever I want to do. Live in luxury. That is my mission and purpose in life, right? Live happily ever after. Not so much. Disaster is coming. And she's going to have to make a decision. Because God is going to let her look at her shadow mission and her God mission and she's got to make a choice, and you got to make a choice. And by not making a choice, you've made one. And if you want to know what happens next in the story, if you want to know how to discover and devote your life to the mission and purpose that God has uniquely for you for this season in your life, If you want to know what God has given you in the midst of all the obstacles and the struggles and the heartaches that you are finding, that you are experiencing right now in life, and how to achieve the mission that God has for you, if you want to discover that, come back next week.